I love the conversations that so many of our hosts have had on their shows. Steve and JJ on Trailer Rewind, Ray and Ocean on Silver Linings, even Tommy's short-lived No, No, Wait, Hear Me Out. And so many films they've discussed started out as a book, a play, or even a TV series. Well, now you can support our whole family of podcasts by using our new Originals page to buy the original source material used to inspire films covered on our shows. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these fantastic conversations. It's a wonderful way to support the show. Producing these podcasts week after week require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, try using our originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. It's your one-stop shop for Amazon and Apple links where you can buy the book, play, video game, movie, etc. upon which the movie is based. Original material for trailer rewind movies like If Beale Street Could Talk, The Goldfinch, Aniara, or The Two Faces of January, or Silver Linings movies like Repo Men, which was based on the repossession Mambo. Plus, by using those links to buy books, Amazon and Apple show us a little bit of love, which allows you to support our family of shows with minimal effort. Visit thenextreel.com slash originals. It's a fantastic way to support the show and find a great book to read. That's right. Head over to thenextreel.com slash originals to find your next read and get started today. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash Transistor. Start growing your podcast today. Hey everybody, you're listening to Trailer Rewind, a monthly conversation about movies you may have missed in theaters and are now available on streaming services. Every month we dig into the archives and view a film that Pete and Andy talked about in their trailer picks. JJ and I watch it have a very spoilery conversation about it, and today we're looking at Miss Sloan. So this was Pete's pick from September 22nd, 2016. Uh, today's October 10th, and Miss Sloan is available on Amazon Prime. Now, before we go any further, you should check out our ever-expanding back catalog for this show and its sibling shows at thenextreel.com. If you've stumbled upon us, you can subscribe in your favorite podcast app or follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Next Reel. And whether you've just found us or have been a listener for a while, you can be part of our community. Supporting us as a patron on patreon.com slash thenextreel gets you into our Slack group where there's always a fun conversation going on about films. And you also get exclusive Patreon-only weekly Saturday matinee 
Q&A episodes, the new home of trailer picks, and discussions of weekly film news and lists. And we love our list this week. We had, uh, I've been like sort of blacklisted on the list actually what? because, well, a couple, a couple weeks ago it was just me and Pete and he let me go first and all of my picks were his picks. Oh. So every time, so I kept one-upping him. So now the new rule is Steve does not get to go first. <laughs> okay. So so I always get to sort of cast to the side and have to wait for Pete and Andy to go through at least their first pick before I get to chime in. But uh, we've been d- having some really interesting discussions. The lists are always based on the film that they've discussed sort of in the main show. Oh, cool. So so it's, it's always sort of a fun thematic connection to see what types of films we come up in our lists. Yeah. So definitely check out the Saturday matinees. So for Miss Sloan, yes. Pete Pete picked this one and he noted that there were a lot of fantastic names associated with this. He named director John Madden, Jessica Chastain, and he said he is a fan of hers and he was likely to go see it and that it was going to be a culturally important film like The Big Short and Snowden, a film that was taking on important issues for us to talk about. Tell me, what did you think about this overlooked film? Well, it was totally overlooked. I'm glad that you mentioned that because it, even for for me, I while I saw all the names, you know, that Pete talked about in the trailer rewind, and it looked like it was a strong film. I'll say it that way. You know, it didn't look like it was poorly made or anything. I didn't have any desire to see this in the theater. Didn't think it was special at all. I I, I like you know you talk about what what we do here on Trailer Rewind, and it's really trying to sort of show people movies that they might not have caught when they were in the theater. And looking at the way that this movie did, I think it had a what a fifteen million dollar budget, and it made. Four, three point four million total. Uh, so that means it didn't get out there. And the interesting thing about this movie is that it, um, I think, it's really, really strong, and especially in terms of story. So uh, for me, it, I didn't guess what was happening any way through it. I, it was, it was kind of like a mystery, and I kept wondering the whole time through if it was based on a, on a real story. And from what I can find, now correct me if I'm wrong, but from what I can find, this was all created in the mind of a screenwriter, someone who has only written this film and was the only person writing this movie. I think that's remarkable. And really, the story is really special here. And if you are a lover of film story and the kind of thing where, uh, you know, I'm going to say, if you like not being spoiled in movies, you should turn off this podcast right now and you should go watch this movie because there's a lot in this movie that goes into the mystery of something like The Usual Suspects or something really deep from a mystery perspective about political lobbying drama that is really special that had me guessing all the way. And even at the end, I was completely guessing wrong. What did you think? Yeah, no, I was fortunate enough to to see this in theaters. Because I, I'm a big fan of Jessica Chastain. And this was one of those films that I said, you know, let me go see this because it's out in theaters near me. It looks interesting. And if I don't see it now, I'm probably going to forget it. And I, I'm really interested. So I went out and saw that and just came back and thought, oh my gosh, everybody needs to know about this movie. How how is how are people not talking about this film? And it was it was released in like late 2016. And maybe it was just overshadowed by a lot of the other sort of more traditional Oscar hyped contenders. But you look at this cast and you look at this type of story. And to me, it's one of these really smart films directed at, you know, Adults. This isn't like a teen movie or something that appeals to families. This is mature grownups going to watch a film to engage in sort of art that is going to have them 
ask questions about things. And it's a movie you go see and then you sit down with somebody that you hopefully have seen it with to, to talk about what this movie's doing. And I think it just it was maybe asking perhaps too much of people or there were just too many other films out there that, that pushed it out because I, I couldn't stop talking about this film. And so when it came to, you know, Trailer Rewind, I thought this has got, this is the perfect vehicle because it's something that everybody just should give a chance to this movie. Now, this wasn't necessarily uh, actually, this wasn't nominated for any uh, uh, Oscars, was it? No, not that I'm aware of. It just sort of came out in that like between Thanksgiving and New Year's sort of window where usually that's where your Oscar movies are being promoted because everybody goes to see movies during the holidays and that's where you'll see things sort of being you know, positioned for placement for, you know, Oscar contention. But uh, I'll, I'll take a look. But I, again, I think probably dumbfounded that there wasn't any attention, you know, awards time for, for this film. Yeah, I guess the reason why I ask is because my first thing that I think about is what could they have done differently to promote this movie in a way or how what would be the story that they that that people might be talking about? And I try to think of films that I that I like like this. And I think for me, the reason why I ignored it, I mean, I, I straight up ignored it when it was in the, the theater because I didn't. I didn't know anything about it that would compel me to go see it. And it is such a story-driven piece. I don't know how I could have promoted the film differently in a way that would have gotten people to get their butts in the seats and go watch the movie. Now, when we talk about which movies it's like, um, I think about like Michael Clayton, but that had Oscar nominations, or like Aaron yeah. Brockovich, these kind of things that are really sort of, you know, Michael Clayton was about um, um, corporate drama and Aaron Brockovich was, of course, this legal piece. And then I also talk about Spotlight. But each of those movies, which was about um, which was about the child abuse in Catholic churches, they, I, each of those movies uh, did get Oscar buzz. So I'm thinking this movie is on par with those in terms of story for me. Did you feel that way? Oh, yeah. Th to me, this is like I think of Michael Clayton and this film sort of like side by side because there's yeah. something about that was in, immediately my thought yes i mean there there's sort of a mystery going on you've got you've got this really solid performance that's really carrying this film but great supporting cast around it and there's something just about the tone to the story and the and the way it's structured and, and filmed with both of these that just come just straight at you and this is it's not gonna sort of lull you in like oh we're gonna we're gonna soften the edges on this it's just gonna come right at you and it's not gonna tell you everything there's information that's hidden you're you're sort of along for the ride figuring things out as this film goes along with both of these and I love films like this and I, I wish yeah. there were there were more of them out there because they just do what they do so well Right. And and I think in general, most people love films like this when they're story driven. And but to be honest, I, Michael Clayton was probably my favorite film that came out that year. And I yeah. think it, when I try to think of what genre this is, you know, drama is sort of the big catch all that all yeah. these films go into. But I don't know how I can identify these movies for myself when they're in the theater. That being said, I don't know that it was important that I saw it in the theater. I'm very happy that I've seen it now. I'm very happy that I was exposed to the story now because it's the kind of writing that I think makes the film medium really special. Yeah, I, and I think it is, you know, the challenge of how do you categorize this? Because drama is such a broad term that covers right. all kinds of stories. And you, you don't want to say mystery, although there is a, 
a mystery or suspense to this. It's not a necessarily a who done it, and it's not really a thriller. There, you know, but it is a it's a drama that has questions and and mysteries to solve in the story. Uh, you know, and I guess it's. I want to say suspense to a certain extent, because the big story is, you know, getting into it of you've got this, you've got Miss Sloan, who is this, you know, top notch, powerful lobbyist who decides to abandon the firm that she's at to go with a smaller firm based on the issue, which has to do with with gun control and, and gun rights. And she chooses to go work at this smaller firm. And then the big question is, is she going to be successful? And sort of that's the the question driving this. And I guess maybe that is the genre. Right. Is the, the, instead of question-driven, it's more, uh, instead of action-driven or conflict-driven, it's question-driven. Yeah, well, and that's that's good. Now, now, in your quick synopsis there of the story, I have questions for you that immediately jump into spoilers. And before I ask these questions, I also want to say that this I love spoilers. That's part of the reason why I love being yeah. part of this show, this yeah. podcast. But beyond that, this movie was good enough to make me worry about giving away spoilers because it's so great to be experience this film and and walk through it not knowing what's coming next so but that being said let's talk spoilers um well i, I think, you think well let's I, let's give everybody a big big warning and i think it is you know big spoilers coming and i think it will impact your enjoyment of this film if you get spoiled and so i think at this point i'd say pause the show go to amazon prime or where, what other online streaming service, watch the film and then come back to our conversation because you, this is a very rewarding journey to go on and to, to spoil it, I think is going to just shortchange yourself. So don't do it. I 100% agree. The, the percentage of movies that fall into that category for me are less than 1%. But that being said, this is one of them. And yes. so right away, so getting into something that's really spoilery, you said that she made the decision to leave her big firm because of the issue. Do you truly believe that? Because I don't. I think that because of the way this film plays out, that she just wanted to slay the biggest dragon. And that's why she did it. But maybe that's the same thing. She saw the challenge of beating the gun lobby as the biggest the, the biggest thing she could do. Whereas, wow, there's just it's so many layers to this movie, and everything is orchestrated. Everything is she's the puppet master. No, and that's a good point because there is a question early on of like, wh- why why is she taking a stance on this issue? She hasn't done that with other issues. It's always about you know the challenge of the work. And, you know, why is she taking a moral stance on this? You know, clearly never take a a moral stance on anything. Right. A a woman with no morals who will do whatever it takes to win is now taking a stand and saying, no, I'm not willing to side with the gun lobbies. I'm I'm not doing this. That's it. And is that her strategy, her seeing the opportunity to be the big underdog to take down, take down, you know, one of the biggest political forces? That's a good question. And again, I, I don't know that there's a clear answer, but I think that's one of the strengths of this film is trying to really understand her and what she's seeking out to do and, and how much is an intentional part of plan and, and, and what isn't, which is, I think, the thrill of how this story is structured is looking at how everything falls into place and trying to figure out which parts she's in control of and which 
are parts that she's not? And then how does she respond to those situations that she hasn't gotten control of? And that's why it's fair to bring up a movie like The Usual Suspects in that you throughout the movie are being are focused on one character or we'll say one story. And then you realize at the end that anything that you at some point perceived as character development for that character might have been just part of their story and not about who they are as a person. So Miss Sloan, Liz, Liz Sloan, is not someone you learn about in this movie. It is not a movie about her. It is about this story and what she does. She's defined by her action, and, and that does not tell us anything about who she is as a person. And I think that's fascinating. I think the way that this film plays out in that the way that it's written is for you to become intimate with this person, and by the end you've realized that there is no intimacy, that everything you've learned is actually potentially part of a plan. And I think that's so fantastic. So I'm going to come back to our first question of what your expectations were, because I see that you you had, you know, different expectations about the story. And I think that may be one of the barriers to this film as far as what this film is really about. Well, in general, I didn't know much about the movie uh, going in because I said, like, literally, I ignored it when it was in the theaters, which is, is, is unfair. But it was, I mean, I don't know what could have changed my mind about that. That being said, as I read about it and as I learned about it in preparation for the podcast, I thought it was really going to be focused on the, the gun debate. And the interesting thing is that the gun debate, while used in the film as a very, you know, as the, the sort of touchstone inflammatory issue that it is in American politics today, it, it really doesn't have anything to do with what this story is about. It's more used as a puzzle piece to create the drama that the story is around. And I think, I, I, I think that was great. So I expected it was going to be really focused on the issue. And that in and of itself became a red herring for the way that you approach the film. Yeah. And that's something that I, on the second time viewing this, I, as I'm sitting there watching everything play out, it, when it gets to the end and I realize this, you could swapped out guns for any other political issue in this story could, could work. And what's another powerful lobby that's out there because it, it doesn't really take a stance one way or the other. Cause I think there's a lot of, we see a lot of scenes that are centered on debate about gun rights and second amendment and whether or not you can put restrictions on those constitutional rights. And then, there's a lot of, I think, useful facts from both sides of the debate that play into these scenes. But the film itself, I don't think, is taking a stance one way or the other. Ultimately, when it comes down to how this is resolved, it's a, as you said, it's a lot more about lobbying and power and manipulation and not so much as guns are guns are bad or guns are a right and we need to figure out how to manage them. It doesn't answer that question, no matter even when it ends and you you're having an emotional response to this ending, it's not like, yay, I'm a pro gun person and this supports it or yay, I'm opposed to guns and this is something that I can use. Um, it, it sort of effectively nullifies that and makes it about so much more in politics, which as I, I, I think is one of the great things about this film is really pointing out what the problems are, what the issues are with the lobbying, you know, sort of industry in Washington. Yeah, and the interesting thing about it is that that is the, the the sort of the fulcrum of the film is that it spins upon the lobbying industry, and that ultimately uh, the sort of decision was the 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 lobbying industry was the target 
the entire time. So I, I do want to get into the cast because there are so many names. Spoiler. Spoiler. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many names and familiar faces in this that I, again, for a first time writer to have a, a script that is attracting this caliber talent to it and to know that really he was the only one that worked on this is, I think, just there's there's probably a lot of struggling writers out there just cursing his name, saying, damn you, Jonathan Pereira, you're living the dream. You wrote a script and you got John Madden to direct it and you have cast Jessica Chastain, Mark Strong, Allison Pill, Christine Baranski, John Lithgow, Michael Stuhlbarg, Sam Waterston. When does that happen? That does not happen. He's living a dream. Literally, I don't know. I can't think of another example, like especially in drama, you know, with this sort of genre in mind. And just to look at the level of performance that they all bring to this film is, you know, it's, I find it really humorous looking at having just reviewed Kingsman 2, you know, last month for the film board and, and Mark Strong as Merlin in that. And then, but to see him as Rodolfo Schmidt in this one, um, I, I just look at him as he's somebody I want to pay more attention to because I've now sort of seen the range of, of what he does. And he's one of those sort of those guys where you're like, oh yeah, I've seen him in things before, but really here I, I, just really fell in love with him a little bit more as sort of that character actor of, I want to pay attention to him because he's a real interesting counterpoint to Elizabeth Sloan and the dynamics of their, their relationship of how he brings her on board thinking I've got this opportunity, but then as you bring up, is she really using him and all of his people to ultimately reach her goal? And I think it creates an interesting dynamic in their, in their relationship. Cause he, I think sort of has gotten a hold of a beast that he doesn't quite know how to control or thinks knows if he can control, but knows he can use her to hopefully to get to his end. But I think he finds himself in a lot of questionable positions based on sort of her, her morality and, and judgment. Uh, I think of particularly of the scene where he's tailing her and she's, you know, often some back alley meeting with the, the tech nerds that have, you know, been able to mount a camera on a, on a cockroach and a microphone and just some real high tech surveillance stuff that he's got huge problems with and calls her out on it. Were you followed? Evidently. Let him in. Wow, look at this. I'm guessing this gear ain't for tuning my 69 Chevy. Rodolfo, my unofficial support team. Big Sam. Little Sam. And your ex. NSA. Without prejudice to the undoubtedly stellar job that you guys do, our firm has certain standards below which I am not prepared to stoop. Let me out of here. Schmidt. Find another way. Yeah, well, and that now, but this leads to your point to one of the greatest things about this movie is what is organic? What what part of the story happened because that's what happens? And what part of the story was part of her plan? And there's no, I think lots of pieces, unless they were specifically explained that way in the film, uh, could be argued either side. Do you think that she wanted him to tail her and then confront her <laughs> on the use of that uh, surveillance? Yes, because I I, do. I don't know. I well, I think so because when you think of what role that plays in her play, I, and again, it's it's trying to keep track of 
you know, cause and effect and consequence to, to each thing. So if, if she, if he follows her and he tells her, no, you're not going to do this. And she's like, okay, I'm not going to use this, but she does. So you have to create this kind of spectrum of how much each of these individual pieces that are used in the hearing ultimately move her case towards the side of believability or to the end that she wants to meet that. And also, for example, the male escort when he comes oh, in, yeah. is that some, it was his landmark testimony that backed her up strangely. Um, did she plan that? Because I don't think so, but you can't tell. And that's one of the main issues. So, you know, her character, uh, her mini me, she's called at the, at the smaller firm, uh, Esme Manucharian, which they play a lot with the name of that is played by Gugu Mbatha Ra. And, you know, she's used as a pawn in, in much of this where her life is threatened and she's, you know, made to do a lot of things. And part of the breakdown in their relationship is how can you trust someone that is pulling so many strings that you never know when they're actually being honest with you? And that's really the beauty of this film is that if even going back in review, how much is part of her plan and what, what wasn't? And was it just, was it just fortunate that it all came out the way that she wanted to, or did she plan it the whole time? Well, and that's sort of the thrill of this film is sort of second guessing everything because it's not just the, you know, it's just, just her. You've also got the gun lobby and looking at, you know, particularly um, the scene where we have Esme is just left and she's walking out in the street and there's somebody comes after her and is stopped by your stereotypical good guy with a gun. Yep. And it totally turns the tables on them. And my wife looked at me as we were watching this and she said, did the gun lobby plant that guy? Was that a whole setup to make the guts make it look like, hey, it's good to have typical citizens with guns? Is is are we at that level of manipulation? And I sort of looked at her and shrugged my shoulders because first off, I don't, you know, I'm not spoiling anything, but secondly, you know, I thought the exact same thing. Like, was he planted by Elizabeth? Was he planted well, yeah, by Miss Sloan? Ex- exactly, and that's we've. You have to at a certain point say, I I can question everything. And get caught up in that. All right, I have to stop questioning and go with the story, and and see where things play out, and maybe save those questions for later because it's yep. it's impossible. You're not going to get the answers to everything. She is a, a master manipulator, and as you see, everything come together in the end. It is extremely rewarding. But yeah, you can if you start to play that game, you can get wrapped up in such you know sort of mental gymnastics of trying to figure out who's behind what and why and to what end that i think it just makes the point that politics is a complex game well and i think you know i think the film is trying to tell us no specifically the part where the good guy with a gun after he bumps into her in the lobby reaches down and picks up a pen and looks at it so i think the film from what it's trying to do is trying to tell us no he wasn't planted but then i think you go and you get to the final piece and you finally learn about how much she was manipulating. And, you know, I, another movie that I compare it to is, is, is the game with Michael Douglas. And I, I think about, you know, at some point when you're within the game uh, in this, in this place, the game of political lobbying, do you start to believe that everything is being controlled, that everything is being manipulated? Cause I would. And in, in looking back in the film, I think, there probably is a logic puzzle that you can put together that would have either side of that terribly tragic event controlling or manipulating that situation too. 
There's so much to talk about with it. It's great. It, it is a talker. And I think, you know, we could just end up probably going scene by scene to this enti- entire movie. Yes. But I, I like, I think one thing to talk about is sort of the dynamics of her with her team as we see that at, at both firms, which I think is interesting. You know, when she goes to leave and she's taking her team with her and you've got Michael Stuhlbarg saying, look, I just went to bat for you. I just cleaned up this mess you made. You owe me. And now you're bailing on us. And she takes half her team just really sets up sort of the rivalry, which I mean, and again, how much of it is her just riling him, you know, as part of the game. Uh, But I think what's really interesting is it creates that, that tension that it's not just her leaving. It's now become personal for him that he's really out to get her. So that the point when we get to the TV interview with the debate between the two of them, she's, she knows how he works. He thinks he knows how she works. And it's sort of that dynamic and structuring the film of the opposition between the two of them that I think is also a tremendous strength to the story because we've got somebody that thinks he knows how she works. He's worked with her for years. He knows it. Plus some of her team has stayed behind and he thinks now he can leverage that to his benefit. And that's where we get Alison Pill as Jane, who, you know, Jane is sort of was, you know, Elizabeth's, you know, right hand and, you know, how she's going to be leveraged, he thinks, to, you know, get the information information that they need on Elizabeth. And it turns out it is much part of the much larger plan. But the, but the structuring of that, I think, is again, gets to that what makes this film unique in its genre is that dynamic tension between those two characters in their quest to sort of defeat each other. Universal background checks are an infringement. What part of shall not be infringed don't you get? I get that that's the weakest, most mind-numbing retort in your impoverished arsenal. Sort of a last refuge for those with no real argument at all. You're talking about the United States Constitution. If they could produce a rational, winning argument, I'd gladly migrate to their side. But because it says so in the Constitution, the Bible, or my horoscope, it's not a winning argument. It's a ripcord, an intellectual equivalent of a yellow pant pissing wimp cowering behind mommy's skirt. Why don't we bring this back? No, 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 let's not. Why don't we ask all the mothers out there who lost their children to an armed sociopath if they believe in his unimpeachable constitutional right to bear arms? Why not ask the terrified girl who locked herself in a janitor's closet at Bloomington High, forced to listen as her peers were being massacred? So now when when Jessica Chastain, when when she's towards the end of the film, before one of the final court dates, when she freaks out and she screams and throws all of her paperwork on the floor. Yes. Okay. Why did she do that? <laughs> the reason, and the reason why I bring it up now, is because we just talked about emotional drama mm-hmm. as being part of calculation. Yeah. So that's a scene where instead of having, instead of her being pit against her yeah. rivals, she's left to her own devices and yet she still has this explosion of in in the moment it seems like frustration followed by a you know a brilliant moment of genius but what is that if she's still the one that's orchestrating the whole thing in the first place yeah and that's that's the challenge with the film like this when you've got a character that's that's a big yeah, up, well right? and that's the you have to that's where on you know rewatch you have to think about who's there and who is this for because if it's in the office and there's other people around it's part of the game because it's show she's putting on for everyone else if she's the only one there then you have to question 
is this show for the audience to distract us or misdirect us? Um, or is this actually truly her reaction and it's not deceitful in terms of the filmmaker trying to create a sense that, oh, here she is, she's angry and she's frustrated, she's out of control. She's really not. Um, that's sort of the tricky balancing act with a film like this. And that's where I have to think about if if she's performing, she, although we do see she is a master manipulator, can she be on 100% all of the time, even when no one's around? And what is the, what would the reason be for that? Well, the important part for me is that you ask the question, is she performing for the yeah. audience, meaning us watching the film, to lead us down the path, whether it be right or wrong? That would be the piece of the story that you may have an advantage with because you've seen it yeah. a second time now. But if that were the case, then I would see think that that would be a place where the story actually fails a little bit. Because... The rest of it is done so well in the way that it delays release of information and the way that it, it that it, it finally explains the sort of the, the movements behind the scenes when it's appropriate. That's done so well that if there is those if there are those pieces of or moments when she's actually trying to lead the audience astray. I would think that that's actually kind of uh, unfortunate for to pair that with all the other great stuff that's in the story. So if I had one complaint, it would be that I don't necessarily understand what some of those solo scenes are for her. And if it was meant to manipulate me, then I'm not so happy about that. Otherwise, I don't really have any complaints. Right, and that's that's where you always have to get to the question of, is, is there actually a human being that exists that is that smart and manipulative that they can be that, you know put on that quality of performance all the time and for what reason. And I, I think... No, that's Hollywood magic. It's Hollywood magic. And I think, again, I have to look at this film as a whole and say, you know what? Those are, those are some of those little things that, at least after two views, I'm I'm still willing to to give it that grace a little bit to say, uh, you, you got me. I, I, went the, I went the whole way. And it's, it's structured in a way and it's delivered in such a way that it didn't... It doesn't draw attention to it because... There's something about how it's either bookended by the other scenes where I'm not, it's not drawing attention to itself in that way to say, hey, it doesn't make sense that she would be doing that. It seems like a natural progression. And even if you have to step back and think, oh, no, no, she's really in control. There are enough, I think, moments where we see that not 100% of things necessarily go her way. I think the, for, the whole issue with Ford is something that's really outside of her control and she's it puts her off her game and she's got to figure out and make decisions about how to play that. And I think she's experienced and intelligent enough to to quickly react and adjust to that. So there, those moments I can say, yes, there may be some, some anger that it's not going according to plan, but she's able to quickly regroup and adapt her plan to account for those things which I think a, a good lobbyist is always can't account for necessarily 100%, but can at least have contingencies to allow for those things. I think that because this is a bookended story of a master strategic plan that it doesn't necessarily highlight the reality of the lobbying industry as much as it is sort of like a lobbying superhero story. In that, uh, because I think that a lot of times when those uh, eventualities that you can't plan for or the things that don't go to plan, then they pivot and they end up going a different direction, which wouldn't work in a closed story like this. But I'm not upset about it either because I'm really happy with the way this story came out. So I guess the question is, 
how pleased are you with this with the, how this story came out where did it end up on your flick chart because it ended up really high on my flick chart so i'm glad <laughs> that it ended up high for you because I, I had the feeling as i was going through it that it was getting too high for me and i and now because you say very high i don't think i'm going to be as high as you which is great so i feel less weird about my where i ended up with it in general i think i i'm a little bit bashful about how much i like this film in that it feels so nondescript on the outside but where it ends up for me so i'm got 157 total 158 total on my on my flick chart it ends up at number 32 which is way high it it won some battles that i thought were really interesting it's right below mad max okay. fury road and right above oh, apocalypse wow. now okay. and you think yeah. about those i mean those are kind of big movies right to sit in there like that and i don't even know how i feel about putting miss sloan above <laughs> apocalypse now in terms of yeah. you know uh, film history and where it belongs but i know how it works for me and it definitely works in that spot right there so for me i've got right now 282 movies it is way okay. up there at number 19 whoa oh. first first oh, yeah. page oh yeah so chart. it is right above hidden figures at 20 and then just just okay. below the director's cut version of Ridley Scott's Kingdom of Heaven. So, and I and I specify okay. director's cut because those that have seen it know that it is a very different film from the theatrical release. This is, you know, like an hour longer, you know, film. Uh, Andy just watched it, and you can find his review on Letterboxd. He, I finally get, convinced him to to check out the director's cut. Uh, but yeah, this is up there in sort of like what I consider sort of the classics. <laughs> range of wow. my thing because yeah it's just to me this is one of those rare films that um and I've, I've nuked my flick chart and so i haven't watched michael clayton recently to have it added in my flick chart because I'm, I'm thinking it's probably going to end up somewhere around in that in that same range yeah yeah michael clayton was a was a great movie for so, me too yeah just just way the heck up there for letterbox for me i uh, again, it was weird. I, I I really liked the movie, and I feel almost embarrassed about how much I liked it, being that I ignored it when it was in the theater. <laughs> I give it a four stars. Um, it's not. I I kind of reserve my five stars for movies that I think are like my favorite films, and I don't think I'll ever say that about this movie. But what this movie did for me in those movies that I brought up in talking about Michael Clayton, Aaron Brockovich, Spotlight, is it showed me that there is an entire sort of subset of the drama genre that I love and that I need to pay more attention to. And whether it's about it, if it's a mystery or it's a sort of a, a twisting plot, I don't even know how to label it, but I need to pay more attention to those movies because I'm always going to like them. So this is definitely uh, on the high side at four stars. Oh, yeah. I, I've got it at four and a half, uh, I think, cool. which, you know, indi indicated by sort of being in my, my top 20. Um, and I, I, tr I, on the second watch, because at first, the first watch, I wondered if I was going to be ranking it, rating it high, just because of that low expectation. I wasn't sure what I was getting and getting something so much more, sort of giving you that unexpected high of coming out of the film, like, oh my gosh, this is so much more than I expected. But on the second viewing, right. to see really the architecture behind this and to see it still hold up where you you know where things are going, but the characters just, you know, and the performances just keep you engaged all the way through, even though you know where it's going, that you you know the ultimate, you know, end game, but to see it and just still be thrilled and enjoy all the the gameplay that goes through just uh, is why it still stays up there. It's, it's such a high level for me. I think it deserves it. That's great. 
All right. So, JJ, here at The Next Reel, we say that when the movie ends, the conversation begins. And I've enjoyed our talk about Miss Sloan. But now that this conversation is ending, it's time to start another movie. So what do you got coming up next? So I am going to see the new... I know you guys just did for the film board, you just did uh, Blade Runner 2049. And I wasn't able to participate in that because one of the main reasons is because I didn't see the first Blade Runner. So I went out and saw the original Blade Runner on Sunday night. So this week I am going to see the late show of 2049 and I'm actually really excited for it. I didn't love the first Blade Runner. I think it's really special and really artistic, but I'm really interested to see how it connects to the new movie. How about you? What's next for you? I, I've been like on movie, like binge the pa- My brother was in town. So in addition to seeing Blade nice. Runner, went and saw uh, battle of the sexes, uh, the okay. stone and Steve Carell feature, which yep. I, I really enjoyed. So I'm, I'm sort of taking it easy. I got a lot of TV to catch up on. I am looking forward to our okay. next film board of murder on the Orient express. I, I, yes, I November. Or, or, or as I teased during our, uh, our flick chart discussion, the, the, uh, imagine dragons video for a, a song, uh, instead of in place of a feature film, because I still cannot wrap my head around why that song for that trailer, for that movie just <laughs> baffles me. And I, I guess part of it is how do you get a younger audience to show up to a movie with a bunch of old people in it? And I, I hate to say that. That's based on an Agatha Christie novel. Right, based on right. Agatha, yes. and I hate to say it's old people, but Johnny Depp is showing his age. Michelle Pfeiffer is showing her age. Uh, oh my. Yes, I'm, I'm feeling very old. Actually, in Battle of the Sexes, Elizabeth Shue is in that. And she yep. is looking all of her 54 years of age, which I cannot believe she is that old. So I'm just, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to go to where the young kids are on TV. I'm, and I'm really interested in a lot of the sort of superhero stuff that's showing up. Because on Fox, you've got The Gifted, which is a Marvel thing. And then Hulu has their Runaways thing, which is I think is a Marvel yep. property. So there's just a lot of su- fun superhero stuff that I'm, I'm looking forward to forward to to catch up on on my my television shows marvel content is everywhere well everyone if you haven't already give us a rating and review on itunes it helps other film fans discover us and we hope that you will help other film fans discover us because there's nothing more thrilling than discovering a group of like-minded fans online it's like finding a new home community yes and once you found us follow us on facebook and twitter for a sort of film geek repost during the week or even better you can help the next reel by supporting us as a patron on patreon but the best thing you can do is go watch a movie with a friend and then sit down and have a conversation about it and if it's one that's been discussed in any of our shows let us know we love hearing from you hondo Hondo! andy according to my friend internet this is what letterboxd is Letterboxd is a global social network for grassroots film discussion and discovery. Use it as a diary to record and share your opinion about films as you watch them, or just keep track of films you've seen in the past. Showcase your favorites on your profile page. That is a lot. You bet it is. That's why I want you to tell our fair listeners just one thing you do with Letterboxd that has changed the way you watch movies. Let them have it. Okay, are you ready for this? So ready. I love lists. As of today, I have 246 lists in my account. I use them to track the movies I watch, organize them in all sorts of different ways. I track them by hand. I clone lists from other people. I use them to plan what I'm going to be watching, all sorts of things. I just, I love creating lists. It's a fantastic tool. 
sexiest animated characters. Andy, what is this? We love Letterboxd. And if you're a movie lover, we are sure you will too. And when you upgrade from the free account, you will remove ads and support the great Kiwi team building this amazing service. Just use the discount code NEXTREEL or visit thenextreel.com slash Letterboxd to get 20% off your pro or patron membership. And it works for renewals as well. 